Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time the Ben Jarowski Show as I speak. It's Friday, November 12, 2021. Here's the headline in the New York Times, which my guest, distinguished guest, does not realize I'm about to throw a question to him based on this headline. So it's all improv. Let's hope he knows, has an answer to the question. Here we go. Headline in the New York Times. As Biden pledges dip in inflation, question is when. Debate by economists. Plan could make prices climb more before they taper off. Classic New York Times story. On the one hand, this. On the other hand, that. We don't want to take a stand because we're the New York Times. We're going to throw out a bunch of economists. Give me a one-handed economist. Who is it? I think Harry Truman said that. Anyway. Without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and we're going to take the deep dive into all the issues of the day, starting with inflation. Take it away, distinguished guest. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me back on the show. Uh, my name is David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, contributing writer of the week, and the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in American Politics. And um, yeah, we're we're um, pretty far from the subhead in that book, aren't we? But, uh, uh, you know, yes. let's, let's roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, my God, Dems. Would you just have a retreat and read uh, Professor Ferris's book? Just read the book. Stop acting like such wimps. Skim All it. Right. Uh, I don't care. The last time you were on here, right? Skim it. Just, just skim it. You don't even have to read it. Just invite him in. He'll, he'll tell you what's in the book. But then buy it. So at least he gets something out of it. All right. Um, last time you were on, we were discussing Virginia, the pending uh, doom. <laughs> And the pending doom turned into the real doom uh, as Glenn Youngkin uh, was victorious over Terry McAuliffe. Uh, so we'll get to uh, Virginia eventually, uh, and you'll sort of sum it all up and what it all means. Um, but let's talk inflation. And uh, this is one of those subjects that is really hard for most people to understand. But in my lifetime, I can think of no... wow. How do I put this? I it, it really turns the tides in political campaigns. That's how I want to put it. No, no issue in the economy, I think, is as potentially damaging to an incumbent president as inflation. I've lived through inflations in the 70s with Nixon, Ford, Carter. And it hasn't been a huge problem in this country since the 70s. And now it seems to be coming back. Uh, so why don't you just talk, uh, start off, uh, David, with your thoughts about how inflation impacts politics and where we are right now uh, with this issue. Go ahead. Sure. I mean, you're absolutely right, which is that inflation is very bad for whoever is running the country. Um, that is whatever political party is associated with a rise, a steep rise in prices is, is going to pay for it come election time if they don't get it under control. Um and that's, you know, it's not super hard to understand why that is, right? Like, on the one hand, 
you have the price of essential goods like eggs and milk and chicken and butter, steaks, steaks are up. Um, and then also uh, bigger ticket items have also increased substantially in this, so cars and appliances. Uh, I need to replace the hot water heater in my house. And I told me it's basically going to be twice what it would have been two years ago. So instead of 1200, it's going to be over 2000. Right? So, I mean, that's a big deal. Um, and um, I happen to think that a lot of people who are prominent in politics and in journalism and in our, our discourse are well off enough that they don't really feel it. Um, and that's not the case for most people. Um, people are like, whatever, that price of eggs went up 20 cents. And it's like, look, if you're paycheck to paycheck and, and you have to pay rent and you can't afford uh, even a marginal loss um, from, from where you were and your wages aren't going up, then inflation really is a big deal. Um, and so people are, are starting to notice that inflation has gotten worse um, and they're, they're going to blame Biden. And there's two problems with this. Um, one is just a straightforward political problem. I think it's part of the reason that Democrats did so badly in Virginia, um, which is that the perception of the economy is bad, even though there are some indicators, other indicators that are, that are quite positive about the economy. Prices is bad. Um, the other problem um, is um, just the, the pandemic is not over. Um, and the pandemic is driving these price spikes. Um, and there are moderates in the Democratic Party who are going to use the excuse of inflation uh, as, a, as a way to avoid voting for the spending package that's been stalled in, in the Senate for ages now um, at the behest of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. I, do you think this is the furthest first we've made into, into a program without mentioning Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema? I feel like we're like... <laughs> There's an over-under on it. <laughs> Vegas has an over-under. How long will it take before David yeah. Ferris mentions Joe Manchin? Uh, they, but, they, should uh, yeah. rent, man, they really should pay rent up there. Uh, <laughs> spent a lot of time up in there, my neurons. Um, so it's it's bad on two levels, right? It's obviously just, it, it's it's economically bad. It's, it's a hardship for working people. Um, and inflation right now is outstripping wage growth, and, and wages are up for some people, but not for everyone. Um, and you have the, the problem of the Democrats wanting to, to push this agenda through and, um, Manchin in particular, looking for any excuse possible to hit the brakes on it. Um, and he's, you know, he thinks that the COVID relief package is what is causing this inflation. He thinks that the spending the Democrats do want to do will make it worse. Um, and I don't think there's a ton of economic evidence that that's the case, right? Um, like people are not buying more chicken uh, because they're getting their child credit um, uh, check every month. They're, they're not buying more steaks, <laughs> right? Because of a because of a one time payment they got nine months ago. This just doesn't make any sense. Um, I, I could see that infusion of cash driving a small temporary spike in inflation in the spring, but what's happening now is is much more structural, and that is. Uh, there are labor shortages all over the world, including here. We don't have enough truck drivers. Uh, we don't have enough people to unload the ships in the ports. Um, we got China in particular pursuing this like zero COVID strategy that has them shutting down cities and ports and um, undertaking all kinds of measures that are interfering with, with their ability to, to hold up the various supply chains. Um, and, uh, and you have shifts in consumer buying patterns that are not necessarily related to them having more money. It's just that they're spending their money in different ways. Um, you know, people are buying, I think we talked about it, put treadmills up in their basement and there's computer chips in those things, right? Um, and so you have a situation where like the 100 people that belong to the gym used eight treadmills and now they got 100, right? I mean, just, <laughs> you had 100 people, eight treadmills, now you got 100 people, 100 treadmills. Um, and, um, I didn't buy that thing because I got a COVID check. I got it. I bought, I bought it cause I don't want to go to the gym right now, um, and get COVID. So the, the inflation, to be honest, is, is unlikely to be resolved. Um, as long as we have these rolling surges all, all over the world. And I don't know that the end to any of that is, is in sight. I mean, you, you see the situation in Europe right now, you've got Germany and Belgium that have 75, 78% of their populations fully vaccinated. That's significantly higher than ours. Um, and they're having, they're having spikes in COVID. And um, we can sit here and argue about, um, you know, 
how we're going to deal with that moving forward. But but right now, um, those mitigation measures are, are still having a major economic impact. And um, I think the administration can do some things about it. But uh, but to be honest, I think that we're in for it's not like this is not like Weimar Republic uh, hyperinflation, you know, putting the dollars on the wall as wallpaper stuff. You know, <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, it's not like wiping out people's retirement savings yet. Um, but certainly if it gets any worse, um, then then Democrats are looking at a, at a huge structural problem next year in particular. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. It's definitely not a reason to not invest in in, uh, in the social support network in this country. If anything, um, you know, the fact that prices are going up means that people need more help. Right? Um, they need more help with caring for their elderly relatives and, and they need more help um, with, with child care and they need more help um, with, with paid leave and all, all these things that are, I'm talking about the things that are most important to me, I guess, <laughs> but there's, there's a lot in this package that would help people. And it's like, I, I just don't, I, if, if I, um, got some, some, uh, subsidies for my childcare, it's not like I'm going to go out and buy a Porsche, you know, I mean, just probably just going to save it to be honest. So, um, and, uh, you know, it's always important to know that you yourself are not the average consumer, but, um, I think that the case for, helping ordinary people out during this weird and difficult time only gets stronger um, if prices are going up. You know, uh, that doesn't mean write everybody a $50,000 check, right? Like that, that wouldn't work either. Um, but that's not what we're talking about here. So, um, and nobody ever touched like, I don't know, maybe the fact that we spend $800 billion a year on the Pentagon, maybe that's driving up prices. You know, why don't we cut something else back? Why does it always have to be the stuff that we want? So it's, it's frustrating to hear this discourse and, um, Obviously, Biden is set to sign the infrastructure bill on Monday with a big ceremony. And now Manchin is making signals that he's not going to go through with the spending. And so I don't know what's going to happen. I think Biden's going to sign it either way. But um, the risk that the moderates would simply walk away from this once they got what they wanted has always been there. Um, and uh, it's possible that the progressives just got outplayed again here. We'll see. Well, there. I mean, now we're on just on a separate point about who got outplayed uh the reality is that um mansion and cinema uh we're not going to uh, bend on this and so if the pro- I, I even i was feeling pressure you know because we talk so much about uh the sense that the democrats can't deliver on anything and even i was starting to feel a pressure let's just get something out there you know and um and so uh, uh, Bernie and the progressives uh, were holding out. We're saying, no, we're not going to vote uh, on infrastructure until you've committed to the Build Back Better program. Uh, and Manchin and Senator were like, we don't care. <laughs> you know, uh, and a very bizarre situation where two Democrats were behaving like they were Republicans. Uh, so the reality is, I've said it on the show, I think you and I have come to the conclusion that they aren't Democrats. They're just Democrats in name only. And so uh, Biden had no choice, I think. Uh, just he had to deliver something. So I agree. But going back to, yeah, can go I just say one thing about this, which is about the timing? Um, mm-hmm. And it's like for weeks before the governor's elections, everybody was in freakout mode because they were like, the paralysis in Washington is going to cost us in Virginia and New Jersey. Um, and like, we got to do something. We got to do something. But then they waited for it to happen. And then they did something. Now the urgency is gone, right? So it's like, if you were going to, to me, if you were going to capitulate and just sign the infrastructure bill, you should have done it 10 days ago or 10 days before the, you know, before the elections, taken the heat then from, from the activists and given Biden a win that McAuliffe could have gone out and been like, look, I'm with these guys, right? You want Rhodes? It's me. I'm your guy. Terry Rhodes McAuliffe. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk about. Yeah. Jerry Rhodes and Bridges McAuliffe. It's me, Phil, Phil Bridges Murphy, uh, New Jersey. Vote for me. Um, so to me, it's like that was the worst of both possible worlds. Right? Like took the maximum political hit uh, in terms of losing the governorship in a big, important state, nearly losing the governorship in a deep blue state um, in New Jersey. Um, and then once the damage was done, they were like, oh, that was bad. I guess we should do something about that. But now there's no elections for a while. So who cares? Right. Like yeah. this would have been the like after you lost those elections, I guess, partly on principle of getting both of these bills through. Why would you give up now? 
right? Like I could see the case for capitulating before the elections. I do not really see the case for like five days after the election. They're like, oh boy, well, that was bad. Um, it, it's like, uh, I don't know, it's like um, calling the fire department after your house burns down. You know, it's like, yeah. okay, well, look at it. Look, it's burned down. Here's some water. But I should call them before it finished burning. That's what I think. But again, I'm not a strategist. So I'm just some guy. That is a great riff. And uh, I just think that could be the motto of the Democratic Party. The worst of all possible worlds. <laughs> let's let's just let's just figure out a way to do something will hurt us no matter what we do. Uh, and that's my beloved Democratic Party. Uh, all right. Just so going back to inflation, uh, you, you know, it's such a it's such a complicated, difficult subject to understand. Uh, just to basically understand it. Uh, and therefore, it's a very difficult sub, uh, subject to deal with politically. Uh, and it's easily manipulated, as you pointed out, by all kinds of sources to do whatever they want to do, uh, even if it has nothing to do with the issue of inflation. So Manchin's already like, oh, yep, you got to cut back. Well, you know, this is going to cause inflation. And then like half of America will be nodding its head going, yeah, if I give some poor guy some money, it's going to cause inflation. So we got to take the sorry, poor guy. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> you lose again. So that's uh, that's the issue. But you like you just in passing while you were uh, talking, you mentioned like uh, a shortage of truck drivers. You know, and there's a, a as a result, there's a shortage of products making it to the market. And just touch upon upon that for a moment. I mean, that seems to be a challenge that the country is facing right now. And I, I whenever there's a challenge, there's always an opportunity. You can correct a problem. You follow what I'm saying? So just yeah. dwell, if you will, a, a bit on that, uh, David, in terms of why there's a shortage of truck drivers and what could Joe Biden do about that? Sure. Um, that's a great question. And I, I would be lying to you if I said I had a 100% firm answer to why there's a shortage of truck drivers. What we do know is that the truck driver, like the, you know, the fleet, call it the fleet, is, is older. Um, that it's the, the, po the population of people who drive trucks, this is tens of thousands of people, tends to be older men. Um, and the industry has not been able to get younger people to want to do this in sufficient numbers to replace people who have retired from the workforce in the last few years. Um, COVID, I think, has made it worse in the sense that there's some segment of people who are just not working right now. Um, and uh, and this is, a, this is an area where it just like really helps me to have gone to, to have grown up in a working class town because I actually know truck drivers. <laughs> okay. um, like, unlike on most people that teach in universities. I have a friend from high school who's a truck driver and, and his complaints about the industry way, way predate all of this stuff, right? Um, some of it is about regulations about how much and how long he can drive for. Um, more of it, I think, is, um, is from the company side where the, you know, the expectations of these guys, you know, they're up at the crack of dawn, you know, if they, they get hung up in, in one place, they miss a delivery, they're not gonna get paid. Um, it just seems like a very high-risk proposition. It's hard on your body, and the, those people need to be compensated um, accordingly. And it doesn't seem like the industry is doing that. It seems like the drivers themselves are taking on a lot of the risk in the, in the sense that they have to buy the rigs um, to, to drive them. In some cases, I'm going to stop talking because that's a, that's the extent of my 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 knowledge of the truck of the truck industry, right? Um, but it's a, it's another case. I, I think also it's a case where the you know this the multi-year freeze in any kind of real immigration is also hurting us. Um, and so tr truck driving is also one of those elements of the supply chain that you cannot fix overnight um, because you cannot just throw any knucklehead into an eighteen-wheeler. You know, like that's you need like months of training um, how to drive these things, um, how to load them, how to how to be safe with them. Um, it's not something. It's you know. <laughs> You can't just like walk into your uh, in the middle of town and be like, "Who wants to, you know, who wants to drive this rig to California?" Because um, not not safe for them, and it's not safe for anybody else on the road. So, um, certainly, I, I have been something I've really been wanting to see out of the Biden administration are big national initiatives to to fill obvious holes in the economy with some of the people who aren't working. 
um, and with um, with immigrants, right? Um, for like God, God knows why at this point, but still a lot of people want to come to the United States, okay? And um, I'd be happy to trade places with some of them sometimes, but um, but but there's there's a lot of people that would like to come here, and um, we have uh, you know hundreds of thousands physician shortages and in, in healthcare getting worse during the pandemic because a lot of people are burning out in the healthcare industry, particularly nurses. Um, you know, we have all of these, um, you know, skilled manual labor jobs that need to be filled. It's not just truck driving. It's all, all sorts of things. Um, and so that to me is a, it's like, it's bigger than COVID. It's bigger than Biden. It's a kind of a, it's like a crisis. It's like almost a crisis of American capitalism. In a sense of like, you, if you can't get people to do the essential jobs that everyone else is sort of dependent on, um, I think you need to kind of sit back and ask yourself, like, well, how are things are things being fairly distributed here? You know, like maybe like maybe the hedge fund managers should be making a little bit less and the truck drivers should be making a little bit more. Um, and I don't know how you f- exactly how you fix that with government action, but you, you do need to aggressively change the tax. Structure. You, know, you need to do all sorts of things that the three the same three people in the Democratic Party want to want to not do. Um, yeah. But but here's an area where I think the president needs to be leading um, and I- identifying ways to address these shortages um, eat for nothing else than his own political future. You know? um, By the way, uh, it, when you mentioned the hedge fund, I just want to point out on a local level uh, how it works. <clears throat> and it doesn't work in the way uh, you would like to see it work. Locally, uh, one of the most powerful players in Illinois politics is a man named Ken Griffin, a fabulously wealthy a hedge fund operator, maybe the rich. I think he's literally the richest person in the state of Illinois. Uh, and we, I only say state of Illinois because he has one of his many houses is in Illinois. Uh, but he views Illinois as his playpen. He elected his pal, Bruce Rauner. He funded Bruce Rauner's election 2014 to 2018. Rauner lost. Uh, he has since just recently pledged to do spend whatever it takes to defeat Pritzker. Okay, so he is going to throw... Um, millions and millions of dollars into the race to defeat Pritzker, uh, who's the governor of Illinois. Uh, he also funded the, uh, uh, the, the, the drive against a fair tax, would, which would do exactly what you prescribed, would have raised taxes on people like him so that either, people like me wouldn't have to pay as much and we could have programs. So the exact thing that you said that we need as an economy uh, is not going to happen, or in Illinois, it's going to be frozen. I think in the next year or so by this this election. So, uh, you know, I said this. I've used this analogy many times, uh, David. When we have our conversations, Democrats aren't playing a game of basketball by themselves on a the court. There's another team that's playing against them, and they're playing aggressive defense uh, to defend their interests, and that's what's going on. Uh, with inflation, in my humble opinion, you you talk about rising price. You, know, you talk about a need for truck drivers. That means that the the salaries a truck driver makes would go up if there's fewer truck drivers to do their bidding, and that causes prices to go up. And then immediately the Republicans start screaming about inflation because God forbid a worker gets a little extra money, and then the pressure will be to freeze somehow or other the salaries that workers make. And, it, and, and the thing with truck drivers, too, is like, and, and my my best understanding of this is that there is not actually a shortage of people holding the commercial driver's license. Um, the problem is that people get into the industry and realize that it sucks. Um, in other words, that the pay is not nearly as high as they thought it was going to be. Um, and the commercial, you know, the, the truck driving industry the, uh, <clears throat> doesn't want to pay the drivers more. Um, and so... You know, it's, it's one of those things you look at and you're like, I don't know, like maybe I should cost 10 cents more, you know, like maybe steaks should cost a little bit more. Like maybe we have all been paying artificially deflated prices for some goods based on the exploitation of other people's labor. Um, and so maybe there's just some of that shaking out. But it's like you, you walk around and you see these signs on, on doors that are like, nobody wants to work, you know, but, but we're, we're closed. We're half staffed. There's nobody. It's like, why don't you just pay them some money and see what you know? Pay them a real salary and and see what happens. You know, um, pe- people. I think one thing that has happened over the last two years is people have become less, much less tolerant of taking on major risks for for minimum wage. 
or or quasi minimum wage. They just you know they don't want to do it anymore. Um, and uh, yeah, the people at the top don't they don't see it because your average hedge fund manager has never like suffered a day in their life, and that you know they don't care what eggs cost. They you know there's a there's a whole class of people who go to the grocery store and don't look at the prices. Do you know what I mean? Like you can tell how hard off you are, um, how, you know, whether you're struggling, just walk around, just walk around a grocery store. You'll see some people like picking up the, you know, like squinting at the prices and got their coupon books. <laughs> um, cause they have to, you know? Yeah. And, um, you've got other people that just are like, what do I need? What I like, they just get the stakes and they're like, Oh, what was that? 40? Well, that's a lot. Oh, well, um, and that doesn't change their behavior. Um, and that's like, um, one of the core differences between, you know, poor and working class Americans and, and middle-class and upper-class Americans is just the day-to-day -day experience of like worrying or not worrying about money. It's just, it's just so different, you know? Uh, and, and I say that as someone who, who mostly does not have to worry about money at that granular level, you know, like the price of eggs level. Um, but but I'm aware of it, you know, <laughs> and so I think most people who are privileged are are unaware of that. And that cuts both ways. Right. You have some liberals on on Twitter and stuff being like, whatever, inflation, it's not a big deal. Um, it's it's just a big panic. Um, and I don't think it's a big panic. I, I think it's a problem. I just don't think the solution is what the what the moderates and the, and the Republicans running for governor in Illinois um, think it should be. You know what I mean? Oh. I think uh, that inflation is just an excuse for them to do what they wanted to do in the first place. So, and they'll look for any excuse uh, to do what they wanted to do in the first place. And inflation really works to your advantage uh, because there's a panic that takes on with inflation. And I know this because I've lived through, uh, like, as I said, several uh, inflationary periods. And I could tell you right now, David, that the solution that is generally chosen uh, in this country, when we face inflation, is in many ways as bad as inflation. And uh, that I remember the in, the measures taken began in the Carter administration in like 1979, and then Reagan loved it, uh, you know, raising interest rates uh, to reduce spending, uh, and that just that was devastating to the city of Chicago. Some neighborhoods that was just like the push that those uh, industrial neighborhoods throughout the south side and west side needed to just really just bottom out uh, almost as though that was the plan. So, yeah, I'm very nervous uh, when I see inflation stories, and this is just part of my age and generation, when I see inflation stories uh, hit the paper. Uh, and then, of course, I have the anxiety uh, that I'm facing, political anxiety, uh, which I turn to uh, Dr. David Ferris uh, for relief on. Uh, having to do with just the general state of things uh, and uh, heading into this 2022 cycle, election cycle, coming out of Virginia and New Jersey. So what's your general uh, view of the world, politically speaking? Uh, you talked, touched upon it a little bit, but uh, amplified a little more. The, just your general sense of things coming out of Virginia and the New Jersey, the, the elections that happened uh, a couple weeks ago. Sure. Um, I, let me say the optimistic thing up front, which is, I think that you could look at this as the low point, um, of, of the cycle, you know, the, of the two year cycle. Um, Democrats have taken, I think most of the heat that they're going to take for the things that have gone wrong. Um, Afghanistan is in the rear view. Um, the infrastructure bill is passed. The gubernatorial elections are over. Um, I think the economy will get better over the next year. Um, as, as some of these restrictions are eased and, and we return back to um, closer closer to 2019 normal than we were. Uh, I think that the, all of those factors are going to work in favor of sort of restoring the national environment <clears throat> closer to what it was 10 months ago. However, <laughs> the, the, the results of the New Jersey and, and Virginia um, Gubernatorial, by the way, is like the weirdest word in, in politics, right? Like, where do you, how do you go from governor to gubernatorial? It doesn't make no <laughs> <I know>. sense. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. Like the gubernatorial races um, were very bad. Uh, it, it's like if it had just been, like if Phil Murphy, Murphy had crushed it in New Jersey, he was the, the Democratic incumbent, and, and we had just lost Virginia, then you could have looked at this and told a story that was just about Virginia. Um, instead, 
you have the same problem in two pretty different states with with different governors. That is, you had um, Terry McAuliffe, who's unloved, um, being hauled out of retirement to run again for the office that he already held years ago, which is never, but there is actually, I have like a research project going about this. That is, when you haul out retired pro politicians that were popular and expect them to perform the same way again later, it does not work. Um, and then you had Phil Murphy in New Jersey, who was by, by all accounts pretty popular, was leading the 10 points in the polls in 10, 11, 9, 10, 11 points. And he only won by three in, in New Jersey. Um, and so you look at these two results and they are consistent with, you know, something on the lines of an eight to 10 point shift in the, in the sort of the baseline national political environment away from the Democratic Party and towards the Republican Party. And so if you think of this cycle as starting out with a 4.5 a four and a half point democratic advantage that is that's what biden won the popular vote by and then you march it back nine points in the other way what you have is and what in the business we call an r plus five maybe r plus six environment right now that is um republicans have a natural not natural they have a temporary five or six point advantage that would you know that if the elections the midterms were tomorrow they would easily capture the house and they would easily capture the senate they would not have to cheat um, or, or hold any conferences at the Four Seasons Landscaping Company um, or, or have Sidney Powell go in and um, hallucinate on national television or Rudy Giuliani losing his eye makeup. You know, all the crazy stuff that they tried to steal the elections in 2020 will not actually be necessary <laughs> if they just win them. Um, and so it's a, it's it should be like this. This is alarm bell territory for Democrats, you know. Um, that is, we have been on the defensive about, I think, the issues that, that are driving the national turnaround for Republicans. Um, in Virginia, it was schools, but the schools were not an issue in New Jersey. Uh, that is, CRT was not, a, like, critical race theory was not, a, was not a major feature of the, of the, of the governor's race in New Jersey. Um, and that makes me think that the, for all the talk about, you know, Glenn Youngkin's brilliant strategy of, of uh, fear-mongering about a thing that's not actually taught in our schools. Um, it makes me think that the the change in the environment is a little bit more structural, less specific to Virginia or New Jersey, related to schools in the sense that there's a lot of, I think, parental frustration boiling over with the way things are. Some of it's about the race panic. I think others just about the way that schools are still very, very much abnormal. Um, and people are still missing a lot of time and getting quarantined. And uh, some of these policies, I think people have really had it with them. And, um, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's very simple. Right? It's a, you, you turn your political fortunes around. Um, you are dependent on some luck with the economy. But you also need to just get your agenda going um, and show people that you did what you were sent to D.C. to do. Um, and I like to think of, you remember back in 2017, um, when John McCain gave his, gave his thumbs up to the ACA repeal, um, and they failed to, you know, they've been talking about repealing Obamacare for nonstop for eight years and they couldn't do it once they got into office. And they really like Trump bottomed out, I think in the summer of 2017, the GOP bottomed out, they were getting clobbered in these off year elections. Um, there was the, the Alabama Senate race, remember was in, in 2017 where, <laughs> Democrats won a Senate race in the state of Alabama. Like it was like bad. It was a bad scene for Republicans that year. Uh, and then they passed, you know, they passed their big tax cut in December 2017. And they never could fully turn it around because Trump was just such a jerk. Um, but but they did recover some of their footing in the sense that had the election, had the, had the 2018 election midterms been held in 2017, I think the Democrats would have gotten the Senate in addition to the House. And Republicans were able to recover enough grounds in the intervening year by by just accomplishing a couple of things that they had promised the voters that they were going to accomplish, one of which was cutting their taxes and cutting corporate tax rates. Um, it happened to coincide with a, with an ongoing economic boom, and that was very helpful for them. And so the biggest advice I can give to national Democrats is just is pass some bills, you know, pa pass some laws, pass some things that will either bring or promise some meaningful change in people's lives um, and just get it done and, and, and run on it. 
the, the perception is, is partly about like some fear about what the changes will mean. It's also just partly like non-politically obsessed people looking at Washington and being like, well, this isn't working, right? What we put the, we gave Congress and the presidency to Democrats and they're, they're really not getting anything done um, other than pointing fingers at each other every day in, in, in Politico. Uh, I don't like this, so let's give these other guys a chance. And most people don't look at Republicans as incipient fascists. <laughs> um, they they still look at them as like Glenn Youngkin and his, you know, cosplaying a, as a normal person and his like fleece vests. What is it with hedge fund managers and fleece vests? Like, why is like like I don't feel like working people run around in fleece vests, Ben. I just don't I don't understand the signal that's being sent there because fleece is actually quite expensive. Uh, in terms of ways <laughs> to keep yourself warm. Anyway, they look at their like, yeah, it's a great guy. It's fine, right? <laughs> I, I, I have, I have no idea. There's some something is being beamed out. Some message is being beamed out, though. Ronner, Ronner loved them too. Uh, oh, he did. Right? I, yeah, Bruce Ronner, former uh, governor. Of I, you just said something that I, I just gotta pick up on, and 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 I struggle with this because I realize I am not. Uh, I, I realize I'm on the margins. I realize I'm a fringe person in many ways uh, in my career uh, and my worldview. So I understand that. I, I understand. However, I can't be that much of a fringe. So I need help here. I watched Donald Trump lose. I watched Donald Trump move heaven and earth to steal the election. Some of the most blatant, outrageous behavior, calling election officials, and telling them in Georgia, find the votes you need to flip it. Doing the same thing in Michigan with election rights. Literally intervening. It's got to be against the law. <laughs> I don't know how that's not against the law. Then giving a speech on January 6th, the day this formality occurs where they just like you know, rubber stamp the Electoral College, which is just an absurd institution anyway, gives a speech tells his people to go take the Capitol. They storm the Capitol. They're saying, hang Mike Pence. And voters in Virginia don't seem to care. I, I, I'm like, I, I just am stunned. Republican Party, this is me. They, they've gone so far to violate all the norms, and they didn't pay a consequence in Virginia you could argue they didn't pay a consequence in New Jersey. So I need help, David. Help me with suburban swing voters. Like, yeah, they're I more concerned about teaching the history of slavery in school than they are about something they just witnessed. Help me out here. Why aren't more people concerned about what you said? Fascism in our, in our country. Go ahead. I get this. This is a two-part answer. Okay, one is political memories are just famously short. You know, political time unfolds in dog years. Okay, so a year is like seven years, and <clears throat> in January sixth, twenty twenty-one, is just a, it's like a long time ago to a lot of people, and a lot of a lot of things have happened in the in, in the intervening months, some good, some bad, but it's like we've lived a whole another set of COVID crises and. Um, and problems in those intervening months that I think have, at least in the minds of, of suburban swing voters or, or people who, again, are not, um, the first thing they do in the morning is not to turn, you know, turn on their phone and check Twitter. Um, <laughs> it, it's like, there's just some other things that are probably more important to their daily life um, than, than what Republicans were trying to do after the election. That's, that's one problem. Okay. Now, why they have fixated on you know, critical race theory as the thing that they're worried about. That's a whole other story. The second problem here is, is, is this is on Democrats. Okay. Um, and this is a complaint that I've made on your show before, um, going all the way back to the democratic national convention in 2020, the, you know, the virtual convention that seemingly began with John Kasich, who, who was, who was like a radical Republican who signed like an abortion ban in Ohio. Um, just, just someone who doesn't belong at the DNC. I mean, I'm sorry. Th you know, thanks for voting for Biden, I guess, man. Like, you're doing a good job. Salute to you. Um, but the signal that that sent to voters was that the Republican Party is fine. Donald Trump is the problem. Right? 
And that is the same signal that the party continued to send in the aftermath of Trump's attempt to steal it, the January 6th insurrection, the, the failure of, of enough Republicans to vote for his impeachment even after he was gone. Um, and so what happened was, you described where they came into the Capitol, they tried to hang Mike Pence, they were going to kill a bunch of Democratic representatives. Um, and it seems like a lot of the protesters were getting, you know, inside information from like the craziest Republicans in the House. That in other words, their colleagues were trying to kill them. Um, <clears throat> and what happened immediately after that? Like We got into office, passed that COVID relief bill, and then we were like, what should we do? With this large group of people, 147 of whom voted to overturn the election and some subset of whom tried to kill us and are pledging fealty to their to their god emperor who just left office under duress. What should we do with that group of people? Um, let's invite them to breakfast and work with them on an infrastructure bill. You know, um, and, and the signal that Democrats have sent to the electorate with their with their mad obsession with bipartisanship, that is again driven by two or three people. It's not like the whole party's problem, but this does go straight to Biden too. Um, the message you send when you're like, oh, what should we do with the people that just tried to murder us and uh, are trying to quash democracy and install uh, some version of a Hungarian uh, uh, competitive authoritarianism in our country. Um, it's really important that we get the signatures of, 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 of 10 of those people on our on our roads and bridges and trains bill. you know. And so that has been the tenor of Washington for the last eight months. The Democrats are not communicating to the public that we are living through some kind of democratic emergency. They are not communicating to the public that the Republican Party is a threat to the existence of democracy in this country, which they are. Um, and because they are not doing that, they are again creating a permission structure for people who are not committed partisans who maybe voted for Biden in 2020, but voted Republican down ballot, which happened in a lot of states you know, and, and multiple point differences between Biden's uh, Biden's vote share and, and like state legislative elections and the famous Susan Collins race in Maine, right? This is not an accident, right? This is a, this is a, a consequence of the party's strategy uh, where they just cannot bring themselves to call the GOP out of bounds, even while the GOP is acting out of bounds, is trying to install complete lunatics at all levels of government in the states that they run. Um, so that those people will be willing to overturn election results next year and in 2024. Um, even as the Republicans go out and tweet out videos of like murdering AOC and, um, you know, that those are the worst of them. But the but the whole party is behind this effort, right? Like uh, this is a this is a party wide problem at this point. Um, and they use this like hor horrifying language to describe Democrats, you know, um, just in the most like abusive, abrasive terms. And we simply cannot bring ourselves to return fire. When we talked about this a little bit last time, I was like, you shouldn't say the word Republican without reactionary in front of it. Um, but I mean, you show me like who, who's really <clears throat> making this case that the Republican Party is a threat to democracy. You know, you've got Biden going out there and being like, it's really important for the voting rights, you know, but, but again, he's really not placing the blame squarely on the Republican Party. He's still trying to get Republican buy-in for it. Um, thinking like, surely, Republicans believe in the, the, the sanctity of the right to vote. And it's like, they don't, right? They just want to win. Um, they don't care about voting rights. They don't care about democracy, right? Um, they, they think, and they're not wrong, that they've gotten most of what they wanted. There's now this judiciary in place that's going to mess with our politics and our laws for, for a decade, if not more. Um, and they just want to win a couple more elections by hook or by crook to, to cement this this restoration of like the white male hierarchy and the and the business elite um and they don't care how it happens right so anyway <laughs> your original question was like why did <laughs> why people in virginia why are they swayed by crt and not by like the threat to democracy right and so uh, there's some political science about this you know people have a status quo bias uh public opinion swings immediately and against the part party in power because like while you may you're like, yeah, man, like free healthcare sounds great in theory. Um, and then when people get into power and they're like, so we're going to make the healthcare free, people are like, whoa, 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 where'd you get that idea? You know, <laughs> what are you doing to me, yeah. man? Um, same thing happened when they tried to repeal the ACA, right? It was like, everybody was like, I hate Obamacare, it's the worst. And then the Republicans got into power and they were like, so we're going to repeal this thing. And uh, then once again, you're not going to be able to get insurance if you ever had cancer. And people are like, that's 
what do you no, don't do that. <laughs> I know I just elected you to do that, but please don't do that. That's crazy. Um, so so a lot of that stuff is just natural. This would be happening anyway. But um, but I do think that the sort of party-wide failure to campaign against the Republican Party rather than against Trump um, mm. really hurt Democrats in Virginia. You know, McAuliffe based his campaign and on, you know, he's running against Trump. And it's like Trump's not president anymore, man. Um and this has happened repeatedly to our presidents where they, they get into office and they think that there's, they can still keep hammering the guy that they beat. I mean, Trump was obsessed with Obama for like two years, you know, it's like, man, no one cares. You know, he's, he's gone. He's, he's building his library, going on TV shows and stuff. Like he's, you know, voters don't care about Obama anymore. Well, the, so, the base of the Republican party cares. They, yeah. I mean, they hate him. Right. Yeah. But like the people that they yeah. need to win elections uh, in, in 2018 aren't like, yeah, you know, it's really Obama's fault, you know. Or like, remember when the pandemic happened and the Trump was like, this is Obama's fault because whatever. Yeah, you know, it's for four years, though. So um, it's just, it just doesn't <laughs> mean that. The, uh, the, and- the party needs a reset. They need a strategic reset about how they think and talk about their, their adversaries. Um, stop trying to work with them. Stop trying to get them on board, right? Govern the country. Talk about what they want to do use the same kind of language that they're using against us um, within the, you know, within the boundaries of decency, right? Like I don't necessarily want us to be as bad as Republicans, right? Um, But I do want us to use sharper language strategically to make the case that the Republican party itself is the thing that is, that is out of bounds and not just Donald J. Trump. And to that point, uh, I would add this, and I, I say this as a, a close observer of Chicago politics. Chicago's virtually all Democrat. And we just had a uh, budget uh, spectacle. We go through an annual budget spectacle, which is really bizarre in its own way, in the city of Chicago where the city council passes the mayor's budget. Uh, It's a ritual. And anyway, uh, because of the infusion of federal dollars that Chicago, like all the other cities got, uh, Chicago escaped without having to raise taxes. Do you think anybody in the Chicago City Council or in the mayor Lori Lightfoot's administration made a big effort to thank Joe Biden, Papa Joe, for the money? Uh-uh. All they did was pat themselves on the back like they were these brilliant financial stewards of Chicago's purse strings. And, and the, you know, and all the, the voters in Chicago, which is a collective unit, which I've been known to uh, belittle from time to time because they're not the brightest bulbs and well what a great mayor we have no she got an infusion of billions of dollars in the federal and it's great i'm for it but yeah it's just to your point that democrats just like lori life would not invest a nickel of her political capital on joe biden she wants all the credit but with republicans donald trump Oh, uh, it's like, you're right. They bow down to everything. They give Donald Trump credit for the vaccine. I mean, for, you, half the party doesn't want to take the vaccine. And the, the other half is like, give credit. Yeah, I remember when they wanted to call it the Trump vaccine. Um, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. This is, could, <laughs> you're making a really good point here, which is that Democrats are so horrible at taking credit for stuff, too. Do, do you remember how Trump would tweet <laughs> The, the Dow Jones industrial average like every single day for four years. Yes. Until, yes. Until, that, until that became a very bad idea um, in February of 2020. But he would just like relentlessly, you know, like new new high today, new Dow Jones high, stock market's great. Got the two-way, got the judges, got the economy, bringing it on. Um, and Democrats are out there, you know, get in front of the cameras and they're like, man, you're right, inflation is really bad. You know, this is bad. Rather than... <laughs> And of course, it's important to acknowledge when you have a policy problem and to try to fix it. But you also you always are running a political show here, folks. Like, go out and talk about the unemployment level, which is almost back down to what it was during the Trump administration. Um, You know, go talk about the jobs number, right? Like, talk about how many people got vaccinated. Talk about the effect of the mandates on vaccination. Talk about, like, it's us. We decided to give everybody the boosters. Call the Biden booster. Get your Biden booster yet? Get that Biden booster, buddy? Um, You know, like... I just, again, it's just it's like, does anyone work in comms in this party? Um, <laughs> does anyone in the entire party have have expertise in communication strategy? Because that often really seems like they don't. You know, like Biden tweets like twice a day and he's just like, howdy, folks. Sun's up. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> My no. grandpappy told me, Joey, it's another day. Uh, Tweet it out. 
<laughs> I'm not sure that Biden's actually the author of those tweets. No. Uh, all right. Uh, we've run out of time. And uh, the uh, I, I think we'll hold off to another time, a, a conversation about the concept of woke. Uh, and I was going to raise it in the context of Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers quarterback. Uh, I talk a lot about him on the show. And uh, uh, the way he went on the counterattack, totally straight out of the MAGA playbook, uh, where he attacked the woke mob. Uh, he lied. This is classic yeah. Republicans. He lied, and it's somebody else's fault. Uh, but I think we will. I'm just going to leave that there, uh, David. That is something I want you to you know, think about, just the whole concept of what woke means, how Republicans use it as a political weapon. It sends out a whistle that uh, it, it, people are responding yeah. to. We could do a whole episode on, on the anti-woke panic. You know, um, and it's just a preview. It's just like wokeness is just kindness. You know, it's it's really just uh, how kind of like uh, changing norms about how not to be a jerk. And it's really it's not actually that hard to navigate if you if you just keep your eyes open um, and are willing to you know to accept maybe you weren't right about something twenty five years ago. Um, we we weren't necessarily teaching the full history of of this country even when I was in school. You know, um, I didn't learn about, you know, the tens of thousands of <laughs> murders uh, during the Reconstruction era South. Right? Like nobody taught me this stuff. Um, and people today are like, you know, maybe you don't have to hate the United States to if you learn its real history. Right. If you're a sensible person. So anyway, it's it's a it's a it's a moral panic. It's being weaponized by the right. Um, it, it has its roots in a lot of the anti-college, anti-professor stuff that goes, you know, back to the 50s and 60s. And I, you've seen this once, you've seen it again. I mean, I've, I've lived through three three distinct panics about colleges and universities and what happens on them. And, you know, if you're a little bit older than me, you probably lived through five or six of them. <laughs> so none of this is new, right? It's just a, it's just a repurposing and a repackaging uh, of, of white fear um, and, and, and white defensiveness um, of, of in, in the face of a, of a changing country and younger generations who just have different ideas about what, about the boundaries of decency. So yeah, we could really get into this. Um, yeah, we got some slow news weeks coming up, Ben. So, um, okay. Uh, plenty of time. <laughs> All right. Very good. David Ferris. Thank you so much. Uh, it's always a blast talking to you and, um, we'll talk to you in two weeks. All right. Okay. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks, Ben. I uh, appreciate it. All right, that's Dave Ferris. I'm Ben Drowski. Take care, everybody. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.